skipped it and missed it and haven't heard us announce it. Uh, you know, it is Mother's Day. And we want to praise, our God, uh, praise God for our mothers. Today, instead of speaking to just the mothers, I want to talk to parents. And I want to consider our parental responsibility with regards to our children, as outlined here in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4. Now, I do uh, know that this passage is about fathers in particular. And we read it, it says, And ye fathers, so I know that fathers are foremost in the mind of the Lord as he's having Paul pen these words. But it can equally be applied to mothers, equally applied to parents in general. It's helpful for you and I to understand the cultural setting in what's going on in Rome at the time and in Ephesus at the time of the writing of this scripture. Rome had a law that was called Patria Potestas, which meant the father's power. And by law, his children and his wife were regarded as the patriarch's personal property. And he could do with them what he wished. A displeased dad could disown his children, sell them to slavery, even have them killed with no consequences. So much so that when a child was born in the Roman Empire, the newborn was placed between the father's feet. If the father picked up the baby, the child stayed in the home. If he turned and walked away, the child was either left to die or sold at auction. And it's in that context that the Apostle Paul now sets out to teach on the family. Here in Ephesians chapter 6, it's in that context that Paul has written Ephesians chapter 5, where he lays out the biblical principles for husbands and wives. And here in chapter 6, where he spells out the importance of children obeying and honoring their parents. Now he moves to fathers. But that doesn't exclude the mothers this morning as he talks to fathers. Mothers are included because Paul is speaking about parents. He's had that's the context in verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Verse 2, honor thy father and thy mother. And so as he moves on now to verse 4 and talks about fathers, he is talking about fathers as the head of the home. He's talking about fathers in this context of this law, this uh, uh, patria uh, potestas, the father's power. But this is equally true for mothers. It's about families. It's about parenting. And so on this Mother's Day, consider with me the responsibility of parents that we as parents have in raising our children as recorded for us here in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4. First of all, I want you to note with me the caution the caution, and ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. You know, the first duty of parents is a new instruction here. Do not provoke your children to wrath. The word provoke there means to do not, do not exasperate them, do not frustrate them, do not get to the place whereby they lose all respect for you. Remember, he just told the children, to honor thy father and mother. And now he says to parents, make sure you don't give them any cause not to honor you. God starts with a negative command because he knows that parents are fallen creatures. And if they're not careful, they can abuse their authority in the home. One commentator put it this way. He said the gospel introduced a fresh element into parenting, uh, into parental responsibility by insisting that the feelings of the child must be taken into consideration. In a society where the father's authority, patria potestas, was absolute, this represented a revolutionary concept. He was introducing into society, into Roman society, something that was revolutionary, that parents were actually consider their children in their decision-making, consider their children... Uh, day by day, if they want their children to obey them and to honor them and to, uh, uh, to be the kind of children that they want them to be, then they need to make sure they do not provoke them to wrath. 
Now, the Greek word here, translated provoke, means to rouse anger, to enrage, to irritate, to embitter. It's interesting that the word is in the present tense, which indicates that they were to stop doing something that was common and continuous, something that was a common and continuous practice. They were to stop doing this action. They were to stop provoking their children to wrath. The reality was that these parents in this Roman society had a tendency to provoke their children to wrath, making it difficult for their children to obey them, making it different for their children to honor them. And they were to stop doing that which was common practice, stop doing that which was continuous in the home. There was a change of society. Now, we live in the 21st century, and we live in a totally different environment than they lived back there in the first century. And we need to understand the context here and why this is so important, because the role of children was looked upon as being just a, as a property belonging to the dad. And you know, in the, even though that's first century, when it comes to today, when we talk about parenting, when we talk about children uh, obeying and children honoring their parents, in, parenting, most, in most parenting problems, the parent blames the child. Because the problem usually is evident in the child's behavior. The child is behaving a certain way, therefore the child is wrong, therefore the parent disciplines the child, because the child is behaving in a way that's unacceptable. Now, we don't have them put to death. We haven't got that law in our land. We can't sell them into slavery. We can't auction them off. <laughs> I guess some parents at times would feel like they could take them and auction them off. But we can't. That's against the law. But, you know, our children do behave at times in ways that, that we look at them and we see the child, we blame the child for their behavior. But the Apostle Paul here wisely reminds us that bad behavior may be provoked by the parent. And when that's the case, it doesn't justify the behavior of the child, but it may explain part of the cause of the behavior of the child. You see, just because the child is misbehaving, just because the child is doing wrong, just because the actions of the child are not what's expected of them doesn't necessarily mean that the total cause of that problem is them. Sure, they have a sinful nature. Sure, they, they are sinners by nature and they are going to disobey. But sometimes the cause of it is not just their behavior. Sometimes it may well be the parents' actions have produced the behavior in the child. And we've got to remember that. It is commanded to parents to do everything they can not to provoke their children. We're not to irritate them by exacting commands and perpetual fault-finding. F.F. Bruce put it this way, he says, parents are urged not to irritate their children by being so unreasonable in their demands that their children lose heart and come to think that it's useless trying to please their parents. If our children get to the place where they think they cannot please us and there's no point trying and therefore they simply rebel and they simply become delinquents because we have expected too much of them, then some of the blame lies at their feet as much as it lays at their feet. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 3 because Colossians chapter 3 and verse 21 expands on this fact. Colossians 3.21, 20, let's start in 20 and get the context. Children, obey your parents in all things. This is well pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. It's possible for you and I as parents to discourage our children. It is possible for you and I to so act in a way, so irritate our children, so do the things that we do that they feel they cannot please us no matter how hard they try, no matter what they do, nothing is good enough for us, therefore they are simply discouraged. 
And when we exasperate our kids, when we discourage them, they can become bitter and be provoked to anger. And children who grow up with parents who provoke them will become discouraged. This reminds us of how important it is to season our parenting with lots of grace. To season our parenting with lots of grace. Martin Luther said this, he said, Spare the rod and spoil the child, that is true. But beside the rod, keep it to give him when he has done well. I like that. Spare the rod and spoil the child is true, but next to the rod keep an apple to give to him when he has done well. You see, you and I as parents, we need to make sure that we are balanced in what we do. How important it is to season our parenting with lots of grace. That you need to expect things of our children, that's true, but the same token, you and I need to have expectations that are realistic so they don't become discouraged. We should be gracious, gentle, forgiving, long-suffering with our children because isn't that how God is with us as his children? Now, God is gracious to us. God is long-suffering with us. God, God chastens us, yes, but how often do you and I feel the grace of God more than the wrath of God? You know, you and I are supposed to be God's example in the home. Our children are supposed to look at us and they're supposed to see a reflection of God, the character of God in us, so they might come to appreciate how great he is. And we should reflect his character to our children. And part of that character is that we serve a gracious, loving, gentle, forgiving, long-suffering God. And our children and our grandchildren need to see that same character in us. And we need to remember that our children are commanded by God to honor us. That's their command. God says to them, children, obey your parents and the Lord. Honor thy father and mother. That's God's command to children. He's commanding them that they have no choice. They're to obey us and they're to honor us. But when you and I provoke them to wrath, we're causing them to break the fifth commandment. When you and I act in a way that discourages them, when you and I act in a way that provokes them, when you and I act in a way that irritates them, so they find it hard to honor us and hard to obey us, we are causing them to break the fifth commandment, which is honor thy father and mother. And we are equally responsible then for their behavior. It's like everything in the Word of God, isn't it? You know, we, we love God's commands when they're commands that help us. You know, we love as husbands, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. As wives, you, you love husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. As parents, we love children, obey your parents and honor your father and mother in the Lord. <laughs> and children probably like fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath. But the reality is these are the balances, you know. It's amazing that, you know, God says wives submit, but husbands love that balance. Children obey and honor the balances fathers don't provoke. Because in every command that God gives, there's an equal command given to the other side of the equation. And it's when both of these sides do what they're commanded to do, then there is harmony. When children honor and obey and parents give them reason to honor and obey and we don't provoke them, then we have harmony in the home. And that's the case here. You know, when you and I cause our children to break the fifth commandment, we are guilty before God for disobeying Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4. And we're guilty for causing our children to stumble. 
But you see, the reality is that as parents, we can provoke our children by being too harsh, by being too demanding, by being too controlling, by being unforgiving, or by being just plain angry. You know, if our children just feel they cannot do anything to please us, we will discourage them. And this harshness can be expressed through words, through actions. It can be expressed by, you know, overprotection. That we just won't let our children be children. You know, children are children, and children do children's things. And some parents are overprotective of their children and just won't let their children be children. You know, children have a tendency to do things that are dumb because that's in their nature. And sometimes we've got to let our children be children and we'll look at them and, you know, we're about to deal with their dumbness because it was dumb and what they did was wrong. But in our hearts, we've got a bit of a smile because we know they've just been a child. You know, like you go and visit the grandparents, which we do with our children when we visit grandparents, and uh, I can't remember which child it was, but they were very quiet. My mum and dad lived in Melbourne. They were very quiet, this child was. And we wondered where this child was and how quiet this child was. It might have been Angela, I can't remember now, but we, uh, or it might have been Kendall. It was one of them anyway, one of the older ones. And we went to find them, and uh, uh, this child had managed to take a, a, a flower pot, a big one, and had succeeded in taking all the dirt out, uh, it was Kendall. Well, the dirt over the floor and the plant was out, you know, and uh, Kendall was being a child. Now, it was wrong and we had to deal with him, but, you know, he was just being a child. And so while we dealt with him, we had to realize he was being a child. Children are children. Children will do things that at times are just children, childish things. That's why they're children. That's why God gave children to parents. That's why we have a responsibility to not provoke our children to wrath. We've got to help them be children. And when you and I are overprotective of our children, when we put such a tight constraints upon them and we won't let them be children, we can cause them to be provoked to wrath. Now, the flip side of overprotection is overindulgence which is the catch cry of the 20th and 21st century, that we just to allow them to express their feelings, to do what they please, you know, because if we don't, we'll, we'll hurt their self-esteem and we want them to have self-esteem and self-esteem comes by expressing yourself, doing whatever you want and we're not, to, we're not supposed to discipline our children, we're not supposed to spank our children, we're not supposed to bring any reproach upon our children, just let them do what they please, overindulgence. But, you know, studies show that children given too much freedom become, begin to feel insecure. And because our society today has fostered increasingly permissive attitudes towards children, what's happening now is we're reaping the harvest of angry young people who are resenting their parents because their parents refused to discipline them. It's folly to give our children everything they want. There's a balance, parents. That's why we're parents. We've got to work this out. We've got to work out the balance between overprotection and overindulgence. Now, I often think, you know, that it would have been smarter to get your children when you're older because you know more. The problem is you don't have the energy when you're older to have those children. The great thing about grandkids is they go home. So I know why God didn't give them to us when we were older, but, you know, when we start out, we're like, you know, as, as a young couple getting married, having children, you're like a little boy or a little girl on a push bike with training wheels. You have no idea what you're doing. But by God's grace, we've got to learn the balance between overindulgence and overprotection because if we don't get it right, we can cause our children to be angry, to be discouraged. You and I can cause our children, provoke our children wrath by favoritism. You know, playing favorites in the home is ridiculously dangerous. You know, Isaac favored Esau over Jacob, while Rebekah favored Jacob over Esau. 
As a result, the family was fractured by the, and the two brothers separated and became bitter rivals and barely talked to each other for years. You know, when we think of God, God doesn't play favorites. You know, there's not one of us here today that are God's favorite. He treats us all equally. There is no fratism with God. There is no, he doesn't think, you know, uh, disciple A is better than disciple B, and therefore he treats disciple A better than he treats disciple B. It doesn't work. God treats us all equally. God loves us equally. And as parents, we need to make sure that we don't have favorites. Now, it's true that all of our children are different. And therefore, it takes takes some effort to make sure that we deal with them according to their personalities at times. Some of them are willed, some of them aren't strong-willed, some of them are, uh, 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 you know, more, uh, have more of a sense of humor than others have, don't have a sense of humor, uh, and so on. And you have to learn the skill to, to be able to deal with them and help them and encourage them, but you can't play favorites. You've got to treat them equally. Because what makes one a favorite above the other? They're all different, but they're all wonderful. And they're wonderful in their difference. Wouldn't it be awful to have kids all the same? Can you have four kids who are identical to each other? You know, I'm glad we have four different children with different personalities who respond differently in certain actions and ways. Can't show favorites. We can, we can provoke our children to wrath by unrealistic expectations. You know, by constantly pushing our children to perfection, wanting them to be something that they can't be, we cause them to become discouraged. Now, it's true we should encourage our children to do their best, but we should never push them beyond their capability. And they become discouraged because they can't do it. You know, we, we decide that the, uh, the little child is going to be a great sports person so we take them down to play a sport whatever it might be and they're no good at it but we keep telling them they just got to do better got to train harder you'll get there and the, the kid thinks well you know i don't know my left hand from a right left hand from a right hand left hand from a right hand i was having trouble there too <laughs> don't know my left hand from a right hand and you know and uncoordinated you know throw the ball to them and they don't know what to do with it and you, you're trying to get them to do something they could never do yet academically they're brilliant well, then we should encourage them in the area that they're brilliant in and encourage them in what they can do and help them and, and, and see to it that they get all the help they can get in that area. Why try to get them to be something they're not? Unrealistic expectations. I, I've seen parents who just want something from their children that their children can never achieve in a million years. It's not within their DNA. We can provoke our children through neglect. When you and I fail to show affection, when we fail to spend time with our children, we cause them to be discouraged. You know, the reality is, children don't need for you and I to take them to a five-star resort every year for a holiday for them to know that we care for them. They just want to be with us. Some of the fondest memories that children have are those, those times where the holiday was, you know, disastrous. I can remember a couple of those as a child. I went to this place called Talaka. Uh, and I remember, I got the nickname Talaka on mud. It, was, it rained the whole time we were there. We were there for two weeks. It rained the whole time we were there. It was miserable. It was cold. It was wet. There was mud everywhere. The, the, uh, the, the toilet was actually a pit toilet at the back. We had the pan toilet at the back. And uh, the... The truck that was supposed to pick it up broke down, and so we had to, I had to go out with Dad, and in the rain, we had to dig a hole to bury all the waste from out of the toilet. I remember that holiday vividly, better than some of the other holidays. But it was a great holiday. I, I remember it with, with real joy. I can remember another time going on a caravan, and we got to the caravan, and the caravan was, was dirty and, and awful, and Mum had to spend a, 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 almost a day cleaning it out. And uh, it was it was some, uh, on the on the ocean, and it was windy, and it rained. The, I don't know what about our holidays when we went away, but it rained the whole time we were there for that holiday too. But we had a great time. Yeah, you know, we live today in a society where somehow 
We think that the only way that we can show our children that we really care is we take them to some flash resort somewhere, and you know, and that somehow. But it's not the it's not the place; it's the company that matters. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't take the resort if you have the means to do that, and if God provides it for you, then praise the Lord. But what I'm simply saying is, don't avoid taking your children somewhere because you can't afford it. Just be with your children. Don't neglect them. You only get one shot at this, parents. And believe you me, they grow up way too quick. You know, I don't have any children children anymore. They're all grown up. They're all adults. They grow up way too quick. Don't neglect them. And then hypocrisy is another way we can provoke our children to wrath. We can provoke them to anger by not being the parents of integrity. You know, our children can see you and I are faking it. When they don't see in you and I genuine Christianity, when they don't see genuine faith, when they don't see a genuineness about our relationship with God, when they perceive in us that we are just going through the motions, they can see that. Dr. Martin Lord Jones said, when you are disciplining a child, you should first control yourself. What right have you to say to your child that he needs discipline when you obviously need it yourself? You and I have got to have an example for them. You and I have got not to be hypocrites around them. Now, we don't get it right all the time as parents. But you know, when we're wrong, we ought to acknowledge that we're wrong. And let them know that we're wrong. And when we're, as parents, when we are seeking something and we realize that we've been doing something and now all of a sudden that which we did was wrong and we ought not to have been doing it, we acknowledge that to be the case. You know, parenting is something that, you know, really, it's something we don't know a lot about when we first have children. But I remember talking to my dad about, you know, how do you, how do you as a parent, become a parent when you don't know all the answers, and he said the big key to successful parenting is consistency. That you know you don't just do one thing today, and then tomorrow you do something different, and it's contrary, it's a contradiction of what you did the day before. Because it looks like hypocrisy. That we don't become hypocrites, that we actually do check ourselves out first before we ever correcting our children something they've done wrong because if we're saying you know if we're saying that do what i say don't do what i do then that's foolhardy we want our children to do what we do therefore we'd better be the kind of believer we ought to be the believer we want them to be before ever we ask them to be what we aren't hypocrisy parents can provoke their children to wrath that's the caution. Now note with me the commands in Ephesians 6 and 4. There are three commands in the second half of this verse. Because it says, bring them up in the, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The but connects it to the first part of the verse. So here is the opposite. Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. So what are we to do? Since we're not to provoke them, what are we to do? How do we ensure we don't provoke them to wrath? Here is the opposite side of the story the commands the first thing parents are called to do is to bring them now we'll bring our children up because they will not bring themselves up i know that sounds very simplistic but it's true <laughs> they're not going to get there themselves proverbs 29 15 says this a child left himself bringeth his mother to shame if we don't take the responsibility of parenting seriously, then our children will not bring themselves up the way they need to be brought up. If we leave our child to themselves, they will bring their mother to shame. This is the condition of a child who has been pampered and indulged. Somebody said the mother who yields weakly is as guilty of abandoning the child she spoils as if she cast him forth. As parents, we're to be providing a nurturing atmosphere in the home 
where children grow up in the love of Christ and learn to serve Christ, that they're not left to themselves, but you and I are actively engaged in bringing them up, that you and I are actively engaged in helping them, educating them, uh, teaching them spiritual things, that you and I are actively engaged in their lives, that you and I are training up our children the way they should go, that you and I are engaged in us, grandparents, we're engaged in that. But we're not just letting them to themselves because they will ultimately bring shame to their parents. We're to bring them up. The second thing parents are called to do is to nurture, bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Nurture. The word nurture is instruction. But it's more than just teaching because this word actually carries the idea of discipline and correction. This is instruction through discipline and correction. We're to teach them right from wrong and help them to do right rather than wrong. Excuse me. Here is implied the setting of the rule. This rule to nurture our children, it's, it's to discipline them, to correct them. Because teaching of any kind involves the establishing of certain rules. If you and I are going to nurture our children, if we're going to instruct them, which is by the way of discipline and correction, if you and I are going to aid them to learn what they ought to do, then you and I need to set some rules so they know what the boundaries are. You can't discipline somebody, you can't correct somebody, you can't nurture somebody if they don't know what's expected of them. And the setting of the rules implies the enforcement of the rules through discipline. this word nurture. We're to set some rules and we're to enforce the rules through discipline. So we're to set the rules. Go back with me, if you would, please, to Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4. And verse... One. Hear, ye children, the instruction of a father, and attend to no understanding. For I give you good doctrine, forsake ye not my law. From my father's son, tender and only beloved in the sight of my mother. Here we talked about the fact that the children are to hear the instruction of the father and they attend to no understanding. Children are charged to listen to their parents. Now go back to chapter 3 of Proverbs and verse 1. My son, forget not my law. Let my heart keep my commandments. For length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them about thy neck, write them upon the table of thine heart, so shalt thou find favor and good understanding of the sight of God and man. Here, Solomon tells his son not to forget the law. Let his heart keep the commandments, so that he might have blessing of God long days, and length of days, and long life and peace might be added to him. If you go back to chapter 2 in this book, he says, My son, if thou will receive my words and hide my commandments with thee, so that thou incline thine ear unto wisdom and apply thine heart to understanding. Yea, if thou criest after knowledge and lifts up thy voice for understanding, if thou seekest her silver and searchest for her as for hid treasure, then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. And you can go through this proverb. Chapter after chapter after chapter where Solomon is teaching his son about his responsibility to listen to his parents. And now in order, what he's doing is that Solomon is setting out some rules, some principles, some commandments here. He's telling him that he's laying down some rules for him to follow, some instruction of his father, attend to his understanding, 
I'll give the good doctrine and listen to that good doctrine and turn not away from the law, he says in chapter 4. He's telling him, listen, certain rules, certain principles, I'm laying down for you, son, listen to them. And if you will listen to them and you'll obey them, then you will have long days and long life. You see, where there are no rules firmly set and kept, the child's life is tossed to and fro. The child doesn't know what to expect. He doesn't know what's expected of him or what's expected of her because there's no rules, there's no boundaries set. Now, children may not like rules. I don't know any child who does like rules. But as God sets rules for each of us, we're going to set boundaries for our children. If we're to nurture them, there must be certain boundaries which they cannot cross. There must be certain things that they must obey. There must be certain principles that we're trying to instill in them that they ought to live by. There must be some rules set for them. If there's no boundaries, then we're not nurturing them. The Lord wants you and I as parents to assume control of our families. And we do that in part by setting, our, setting rules or standards of behavior in the home and maintaining them firmly. If there's a rule that we've enforced, if there's a standard we've set, then that must be maintained across all our children, not just for one of them and not the others. You know, the fourth child should not be looked upon as the favorite in the sense that they get away with murder where the first child got away with nothing. The rules need to be set and they need to be standardized for the family. Now, parents may say, I can't do anything with my child. But God says you can problem is that what most parents, what some parents mean by I can't do anything with my child is expressed by one commentary. He said, I can't do anything with my child without taking the time to see it through. They're putting in some effort, without giving up some of my own pleasure and privilege, losing popularity without some trouble. It's true. <laughs> you know, being a dad in particular doesn't always mean that you're popular. You set a you set a rule and you know, you've got to deal with that. And so you come home and mum says, you know, so-and-so being misbehaving, you've got to deal with it. You don't like dealing with it. You don't want to deal with it. And it doesn't make you very popular, but you must deal with it. In order to be the parent, you ought to be. See, the truth is it takes time. And we may need to be unpopular for a season. But according to the word of God, we'll get back with interest in a few years what we put in. If you and I will invest in the lives of our children, then you and I will indeed reap the benefits in the end. We'll see God bless. In verse 4 of chapter 3 of Proverbs it says, so they shall find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man. We will see our children finding good favor in the sight of God and man and that's reward to you and I as parents for all that effort we put in. Calvin wrote, the children are to be fondly cherished. We must instruct our children carefully and diligently if we're the Lord. So we need to set some rules, but not only that, we must enforce those rules. Go with me to Proverbs 22, please. Proverbs 22. And verse 15. Foolishness bound up in the heart of the child but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. Here's a truism. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of the child. It's true, isn't it? You watch children, they do foolish things. Remember when you were a child and some of the dumb things you did? I can remember lots of dumb things I did when I was little. I look at them now and I think to myself, How, why in the world did I do that? In fact, sometimes I've seen my children doing the very same dumb things and I'm horrified by the dumbness of the child's behavior, and then I remember I was just as dumb. Because foolishness is banned in the heart of the child, but the rod of correction should drive it far from them. You and I should not be afraid to spank our children to use the rod of correction. God holds a counsel with the discipline of our children, and if we discipline in accordance with God's word, we'll have his approval and blessing 
If we fail to do that, then we'll incur his wrath. Go with me to 1 Samuel chapter 3. 1 Samuel chapter 3. And verse 13. 1 Samuel 3, 13. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knoweth, because his sons made themselves vile and restrained them not. And therefore I have sworn unto the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be purged with sacrifice nor offering forever. God says I'm going to punish, I'm going to judge Eli because his sons made themselves vile and he restrained them not. If we want God's blessing upon us as parents, if we want God's blessing upon our family, if we want God's approval, then we need to make sure that we do not fail to discipline our children, that we set the rules and we enforce those rules. The word nurture carries with the idea of discipline or correction. Proverbs 13 and verse 24. Says he that spareth the rod hateth his son, but he that loveth him chasteneth him betimes. Chasteneth him whenever it's needed. We may hesitate to discipline because we think it's unkind, but when we don't discipline, we're not loving. That's what it says here. He that spareth the rod hateth his son. If you refuse to discipline your children, you hate your children. If you love your children, then you'll chasten them betimes. You'll chase them when they need it. Just as God chastens us and God disciplines us, we'll do the same to our children if we love them. Now, it's important to understand the difference between discipline and punishment. The purpose of punishment is to inflict penalty and focus on the past. The purpose of discipline is to promote growth by looking to the future. In fact, inherent in the word discipline is the word disciple. We're nurturing our children through discipline, through discipleship, through helping them. There is joy in correction, even though it hurts. Our children will thank us when they get older, that we discipline them when they're younger. They may not like it when they're young, but the end result is in the end days, when they're older, they'll look back and they'll appreciate their parents for being willing to take a stand for certain things to have some rules and enforcing those rules and stand them in good stead as an adult and they will appreciate you for that stand. They may not like it now, but the day will come where they'll be very thankful for what you taught them and instilled in them while they were young. The third thing parents are called to do is admonish here in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4. We're to bring our children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The word admonition here has been equated with the word catechize. Or to teach. It's been more than just, but it's been just tossing information to our kids. Admonition carries with it the idea of training in words. So you and I can indoctrinate our children or you and I can nurture and admonish our children. You and I can indoctrinate them and just say, you know, here's the catechism, learn it, know it, and obey it. Or you and I can actually train our children by the use of words to call to attention the practical instruction. You've got a gentle reproof counseling against fault, instruction in duties. This word admonition carries this whole idea where nurture has the idea of setting some rules and then enforcing those rules so that we correct them and discipline them when they don't obey those rules. This is the flip side. It has the idea of teaching them by, by action, teaching them by words, teaching them how to behave, how to live, showing them what it means to be a profitable member of society. How do children learn tables? How do they learn to tie their shoes? How do they learn moral values? Or even learn to drive a car? Well, you and I admonish them. This is it. This is this training by teaching by words. 
by helping them, instructing them. Now, they don't learn to drive a car by sitting in the passenger seat and you say, no, you watch carefully and tell you what to do. And then one day you give them the keys and say, okay, go and drive, it's okay now. You know what it's like, parents, if you've got a child that started driving, they stick those L plates on the car and you get in the passenger seat for the first time, and they're in the driver's seat. There is nothing more nerve-wracking than when they start out driving. So you do the right thing, you take them to the car park somewhere on a Sunday afternoon when there's no one around, so the worst they can do is knock over a garbage bin and you take them out, but it's nervous. It's even worse when you take them out for the first time on the road. But the only way they learn is by you sitting in the passenger seat, helping them in the driver's seat, and somehow maintaining your calm and cool collectiveness as they're going down the road, and you see disaster about to happen, and somehow you've got to say to them, it would be a good time now if you would put the brake on. Because if you say, brake, they're just as likely to run the car up the embankment and have an accident. There is nothing worse than sitting in that passenger seat. But the only way they learn is if you try to wake somebody up. Sorry about that. The only, way, the only way you learn is by training them. Training them. By words. It's our responsibility to help our children know what God expects of them, both mentally and practically. Therefore, we must show them how to get the job done. That's Proverbs 22, verse 6. Train up a child in the way as you go, and when he's old, he'll not depart from it. You and I are to train up the child. We're to teach them how to do these things, these practical things, these spiritual things, these moral things. How do they learn moral behavior? Except the parents say to them, listen, that's the way you ought to dress, that's the way you ought to act. That we help them learn, and we help our daughters learn how to dress modestly. We help our boys learn how to dress modestly. We help our boys know how to treat a young lady. We help young ladies know how to behave around young men. We help them. They're not going to learn it by themselves. They're not going to learn it from the media. They're not going to learn it from Hollywood. They're not going to learn it from their friends. They need to learn it from you and I. As Christian parents, we need to help them, admonish them, teach them by words how to behave. How to so, uh, mend the car, uh, uh, tire of a car, change it if it needs be, they get a flat tire. How to drive that car. How to, uh, even the things like sewing, uh, 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 tying their shoelaces and the little things, helping them. Helping them to cook and helping them to do other things. It's our responsibility. Especially true of building good habits. You know, many parents are guilty of issuing orders without the corresponding effort to show how to do it and teaching them how it should be done. As parents, we must see to that our children learn how to work and live according to God's will. While they, so they may know how to live by God's will when they're older, it's all part of admonition. Look back in Proverbs chapter 13, please. Proverbs chapter 13. And verse 4. It says, The soul of the sluggard desireth and hath nothing. The soul of the diligent shall be made fat. We need to teach our children a good work ethic. We need to teach them how to work hard, work well, how to be a good worker so that when they go off to work, they are good employees. Teaching them the disciplined life. All too often our children see in their parents a wishy-washy Christianity and what they need to see is a genuine, heartfelt Christianity. So they might know how to live as believers, how they ought to live day by day and what it means to be a Christian that in the, in the workplace they are living like a Christian with a good worth ethic to the glory of God. And the reason why you have a good worth ethic is because it's to God's glory. Now one of the simplest preventatives to juvenile delinquency is the building of good work habits. Helping our children to learn how to behave, how to act, how to live helps them not to be juvenile delinquents. Admonition, attention to instruction, to truthfulness, to faith, to modesty, 
These are all scriptural values our children must learn. And when these three are evident in our children, when you and I bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, when these three are evident in our children, parents will have great joy and comfort. And when our children grow up and leave home, you and I will be able to look at them with thanksgiving because all the effort was worth it. Now, you and I need to remember there are no perfect parents except the Heavenly Father. We need to remember that we will be better parents if we fully surrender to Christ and allow Him to work through us. Parents, we have no excuse for not doing our best for the glory of God. Being a parent is an awesome responsibility. That's why God has given us a clear instruction in His Word to enable us to accomplish his purpose. And therefore, let's explore the book and follow the book and bring up our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord to the glory of God because it is in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We're seeking to raise godly children. We desire to have godly young people and godly young adults who will ultimately become godly young marrieds, who will ultimately become godly parents, who will raise godly children to the glory of God because they've been brought up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and we haven't provoked our children to wrath unnecessarily as we've raised them. I trust that we will do all that we can as parents and grandparents to fulfill our responsibility as contained in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you for the book of Ephesians. We thank you, Father God, for verse 4, for the caution and the commands to not provoke our children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture of the Lord and help every parent and every grandparent to help us, Father God, to be what you want us to be we might honor you to seek to raise children to your glory. Bless now as we close with the hymn we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.